This morning we want to look to, uh, to John chapter 21. And the things I want us to see as we look specifically through the eyes of Peter today is the great grace that comes to us when we have failed, when we have in some way denied our Lord as Peter denied Christ. That we would see from this portion of the word the incredible love that Jesus has for us. I think we can all relate to Peter in all of his humanity and all of his highs and all of his lows. And it seems always as if it's two steps forward and one step back with Peter. We see him when he gives his great confession that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, as he so often does, speaks out for the disciples and said, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, you're right, Simon. And flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed it to you. We see Peter uh, walking on the water. Give him credit for stepping out of the boat to see that, that faith. And yet in the midst of that, he sees, wait a minute, I can't be doing this. And he falls. We see him in all of his humanity. One of his low spots was when Jesus is going around the upper room washing the disciples' feet and gets to Peter and says, you're not going to wash my feet, as if he is somehow set apart from the others. Often he speaks before he thinks. In one stretch of only three paragraphs in John 16 and 17, Peter not only angers Jesus, but angers the Father in heaven as well. It's uh, right when uh, Jesus has heard the confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, from Peter. And then he says to him, Master, you must not die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And then over just a few verses, as there on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is there, Peter is there, James and John are there. Moses and Elijah are there. And Peter says to the Lord, why don't you, we just build three little booths here to, to memorialize this time, essentially putting Moses and Elijah on the same plane as Jesus. And we're told that the clouds open and a voice from heaven comes out saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And the disciples fall on their faces and when they get up, there is only Jesus. But Peter would probably tell us that his low point was when he denied his Lord. And one of the things that we see when Jesus talks about that denial, he tells him he's going to deny him. There's a wonderful verse in Luke chapter 22. It says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, you will strengthen your brothers. Jesus had a great confidence in Peter's resiliency. And so we see now this scene in in John chapter 21. And Jesus orchestrates this scene specifically for Peter. Just as last week we saw in the upper room, Jesus comes back a second time specifically for Thomas and the doubts that Thomas was having. Well, this time it's for Peter. Let's pick it up at the start of chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, 
Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boats. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, do you have any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of a large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. For they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And Jesus serves them breakfast there on the beach. The reason I say it is a situation set up specifically for Peter is because of two things. First is the miraculous catch of fish, which takes us immediately back to Luke chapter 5, when Jesus calls Peter to be his follower. There's a miraculous catch of fish, and so once again, Jesus has a miraculous catch of fish to bring to Peter's mind the calling and why he followed Jesus in the first place. But the second thing that is specifically for Peter is the coal fire that is there on the beach. Of all the hundreds of times that fire is mentioned in Scripture, there are only two times when it's mentioned a a fire of burning coals. This time when Jesus is on the beach, and the other time is in the courtyard outside of Caiaphas' house. When Jesus is inside going through the mock trial with the Sanhedrin, and Peter is warming himself by this coal fire, and three times denies his Lord. So with the smell, unique smell of that coal fire, not only is he reminded of his calling with a catch of fish, but of his failure around the fire. And so Peter is set up for this time of reinstatement that Jesus has in mind for him. And why I want us to see what it is that we can do when we have failed, when we have fallen short of all that we should be for Jesus Christ. Going on in verse 15, it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. He goes on in a few verses to talk about the kind of death Peter will eventually die as a martyr for Christ. But basically, we have these three questions to balance out the three denials of Peter when he denies his Lord. The scene has been set for Peter. Jesus calls him away and sets this time for him. He had called to them from the shore. He had instructed them what to do. And Peter, as soon as he saw it was the Lord, jumped in. 
The scene is kind of casual around breakfast. But now the scene kind of turns formal as he takes Peter away from the others and down the beach. Jesus' call to Peter now is that he might minister as a shepherd. Jesus had called himself the good shepherd, and now he keeps referring to Peter about the necessity of feeding his sheep and taking care of his lambs. Peter soon would be filled and could take that role that Jesus had in mind for him. The words of Peter's death certainly come true, and Tertullian and Origen and other church historians have talked about how Peter was eventually crucified in Rome, but requested that he would be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus was crucified. Jesus says intently to Peter, follow me. It's spoken in the present tense, which means that this is a continual action, a habitual action. You will continue to follow me all the days of your life. Jesus was very much aware of Peter's failure and aware of how much Peter was aware of it. He had predicted Peter's denials. And if we can see this through Peter's eyes, since Jesus' death, think of what's happened. Jesus says to Mary Magdalene at the tomb, go tell the disciples and Peter, especially tell Peter. No mention in the two times Jesus appears to the disciples in the upper room. We know that Peter is there, but he hangs back. Usually Peter's the one who runs to the front and confronts Jesus, but he is still trying to get in touch with his feelings of failure. But now it appears he is ready. When he hears it is the Lord, he throws his robe back around him and swims that hundred yards to the shore. He has been in depression, but now he's ready for his confrontation with Jesus. He knew the time was right. And when the time is right for us, we need to allow Christ to take us away. It isn't that what conviction of the heart is, that Jesus can pull us away from the crowd, even when there are many around us, even as you're listening to this service Today, God can call you away and speak to your heart. And Jesus says to him, do you love me? He uses the term that he had coined, this agape love, with unconditional love. Do you agape me? But what's not obvious in the English translation is that Peter answers with the phileo term, that I am your friend's. Jesus says, do you agape me? He says, Lord, I phileo you. And to Peter's credit, he's not willing to go farther than he thinks he can commit at this point. Peter had done that so many times. Even if all the others fall away, I will not. I will go to my death for you. He had said all kinds of things that he wasn't able to follow through on. And now he says, you know I'm your friends. Jesus kept calling him then to a new picture of himself. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He asks the question a second time. Do you agape me? Peter says, I phileo you. Do you love me with unconditional love? I love you as friends. But the third time, Jesus finally comes down to the level that Peter is willing to commit. He says, do you phileo me? And that's when it says Peter was hurt. And when Jesus said this third time, do you love me? He said, you know all things. You know my heart. You know that I love you. And what happened to Peter needs to happen to all people, needs to happen to us today, to have this liberation from the guilt of sin that only Jesus can provide through his spirit. I want us to see four steps of the way God deals with our failure when we, like Peter, have fallen short of what we should do. 
The first step is to realize that God's love does not fail. We may fail him time and time again, but his love never fails us. You see, Peter had based his relationship with God on his own adequacy. And when we base our relationship with God on our adequacy, what do we do when we're inadequate? Everything crumbles. We try to live so well that he will love us instead of living as if he has already loved us. We need to recognize that we only love because he first loved us. Look at Peter's recent past. You won't wash my feet. You must not die. Peter was not a good receiver. He didn't want a relationship based upon what Jesus was doing for him, but rather what he could do for Jesus. And what about us? Do we want our Christianity to be based on what we do for Christ? or what he has done for us, and what he can then do through us to our world. He wanted that relationship based on what he did for Jesus. But God loves and gives and gives, and this is a turning point for Peter. It changes him here and later at Pentecost. So we have to realize that God's love never fails. The second step is that God wants to show us our true value beyond our failure. To recognize that we are more than that shortcoming. Nothing I can do will make God stop loving me. God is love and I need love. There's nothing I can do to make him love me more. Nothing I can do to make him love me less. He may not like the things that I'm doing, but he doesn't cease to love me. Peter didn't dare to love in that agape, unconditional love again for fear of a repeated failure. But Jesus wanted to replace that false adequacy with intimacy, with this relationship with the risen Lord. And finally, when Peter says, Lord, you know all about me, make of me what you want. And we can say that today to Jesus, make of me what you want in the midst of my failure. And once we allow that intimacy, the third step then is that we painfully see our need for forgiveness. We recognize when everything is stripped bare, we need his saving grace. And forgiveness through Jesus Christ becomes Peter's theme there and from Pentecost and beyond. He takes John Mark under his wing after the failed mission trip that we read about in the book of Acts and and seems to raise him up as a Christian young man. He accepts the Gentile Christians in Jerusalem. Once he's had his vision at the house of Simon the Tanner, He goes to Cornelius' house. He recognizes that this gospel is for everyone. So we recognize God's unfailing love. We see the value of ourselves beyond our failure. We allow that intimacy and that forgiveness. And then the final step for Peter and for us is that God puts him to work. After forgiveness, Jesus says, okay, this is what I want you to do. Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. I want you to watch over this flock. The Lord gave him a commission. He had restored his self-image as a leader among the disciples. Three responses in return for his three denials. Do you love me? Do you love me? He says an interesting thing. He says, do you love me more than these? And anytime anytime something is kind of left ambiguous in Scripture, it's for a reason. There's different ways we can interpret that more than these. Jesus was obviously gesturing to something. 
Maybe he was gesturing to the fishing boats and his fellow fishermen. Do you love me more than these, the instruments of your profession? Do you love me more than your job, more than your work, more than the things you do? He could have been pointing to the men that surrounded him. His brother was among them and his fishing partners. Do you love me more than you love these people? Our love for Jesus must exceed even the love that we have for our families and those closest to us. We recognize the value of that. And I think there's one more way that phrase can even be taken. Do you love me more than these love me? I think each of us must have this sense within us, no one could possibly love Jesus as much as I love Jesus. I see what he has done for me. I see my interior that's been changed because of him. Do you love me more than anyone else could possibly love me? I think Jesus is asking Peter all of these things. Am I more important to you than those people around you, than your job, your occupation? Are you aware of this intimate relationship that I want you to have with me? He had been broken and now forgiven. And now there are new ground rules for Peter. He could be all that God wanted him to be. So picture in your mind the life that God wants to love you toward. At Pentecost, that power was acted out in Peter as he preached to many. But we see in Peter's writings the way that this continues to grow for him. In 1 Peter, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A new birth into a living hope. And into that inheritance, he says, can never perish or spoil or fade. It's kept in heaven for us. And over a page, he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We recognize that Peter is transformed. He is loved. He is forgiven. He is enabled. He is empowered. And that's what God wants for us. In the midst of our failure, in the midst of the times when we have fallen short and denied our Christianity in one way or another, he was used mightily of God. And I go back to that prayer that Jesus had prayed that's recorded in Luke chapter 22. Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And when you return, when you return, this awareness that God believes in us, let me love you and know all about you. And so God knows us, all of our thoughts, all of our memories, our hopes, our disappointments, our successes, our failures. We don't need to pretend anymore. We can be the person he has called us to be. Right at the end of this encounter with Jesus, Peter tries to deflect the situation. He sees John coming down the beach toward them, and he says, What about him, Lord? And Jesus answered, What if I want him to remain alive until I return? What is that to you? You must follow me. And sometimes when the pressure gets too much on us, we try to deflect it to somebody else. Okay, Lord, that's fine that you're putting on this pressure on me to to be your kind of person. What about them? What about these others? And Jesus says, don't pay attention to the others. You follow me. We recognize that this is our relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to know that God will form us into who he wants us to be. Let's not settle for anything less than that.
Father, we are yours. And this week, when we celebrate all that we have to give thanks for, we recognize that even in the turmoil in our world right now, our thanks is based upon the blessings that come from you. That you have lifted us up from our sin and our failure, and you have set us upon the rock. We recognize, Father, that you are Lord of our lives. We give that to you, and we ask that you would form us as you formed Peter into all that you want us to be. Guide us into that truth, and we will be truly thankful. In the name of Jesus, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and give you his peace. God bless you. Have a great Thanksgiving week.